Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this morning is our first lesson, Genesis 18, verses 1 to 14, as printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear fellow listeners to the Word of Christ, Typically, we read Genesis 12 through 25 or so as the story of Abraham. But everywhere that Abraham traveled, his wife Sarah went too. So let's now imagine a scene that takes place about 18 months after the events in our reading. Sarah has a friend visiting, the, the wife of a man Abraham has done business with over the years, who has come to Sarah's tent to to while away the hours while the men negotiate their deals. And while her friend had heard about the baby, seeing Sarah, at an age when most women would have been doting on grandchildren, seeing Sarah with her own baby boy on her lap just, just made the friend's jaw drop in amazement. She never would have believed it was true if she didn't see it for herself. And once she composes herself and gets her, her speech back again, she asks Sarah all the, the standard questions, hesitating with the how questions that she most wanted to ask, until finally she expresses her curiosity with a seemingly simple question. Isaac, that's, that's an unusual name. Why did you name your baby that? Because I laughed. Sarah answers. That doesn't exactly make things clear. So the miracle mother decides to tell the whole story to explain. As you know, she says, Yitzhak means he laughs. And when my son was born, I said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. But there's more to it than that. And Sarah tells the whole story of how she left Ur of the Chaldeans with her family and husband many years earlier, trusting in the Lord who called them to, to live in a new land, one they called Haran. And then after Abraham's father died, she left Haran with him to come to Canaan, once again trusting not only that the Lord would take care of them in their new home, but counting on His promise to make her husband into a great nation and bless all the world through him, which meant she knew that God would be giving her the honor of being the mother of this great nation. But she waited and waited long years after long years and still no child was given her. Enough time passed for an entire generation to be born and raised. Sarah tells her friend how the Lord blessed their family with, with great prosperity, far beyond their dreams, but also how He protected them against enemies and even more protected them against their own wrong choices and faithless planning. And God didn't forget His promise either. He not only repeated it to Abraham over the years, He, he got more specific and made clear that it was through Sarah bearing a son that all these prophecies of greatness and grace would come true. Partly out of pride, but, 
but more because she wants to show her friend the value of trusting the Lord and His promise, she skips over some of the more embarrassing parts of the story, ending up in someone else's harem because Abraham thought it safer if he didn't present her as his wife, and her attempt to force God's hand by giving her maidservant Hagar to her husband to bear him a son. Sarah tells a long story of faith. Because about 24 years after she came to Canaan with Abraham, she was not only still barren, but she had long passed the point where pregnancy could even be an option. We would say she had gone through menopause. And so, when one day, three special visitors came to see her husband, the idea that she might actually have a child seemed both logically and emotionally impossible, even ridiculous, no matter what the Lord had promised. She told herself that some detail must have been lost or the words misunderstood when, when Abraham shared God's news with her through the years. Or, or maybe, maybe God had forgotten her. Or, after all this time, giving her a baby was just too much for him. Whatever it was, Sarah tells her friend, after her husband got her to, to get the servants making as fancy a meal as possible for his surprise guests, she made a point of, of listening to their conversation before and during the meal from the door of the tent. Along the way, she began to guess that, that these were not three ordinary men, something that was a lot clearer to Abraham as he spoke with him. But still, she was shocked when they asked him, Where? Where is Sarah, your wife? And after he told them, over there in the tent, one of them said, I will certainly return to you when this season comes around next year. Then Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And so, Sarah tells her friend, I couldn't help it. I laughed, not loud, to myself, but they knew they knew what I was thinking and knew that I had stopped trusting the Lord's Word about this. I was too old. Abraham was too old. God can do great things, but I was certain this wasn't one of them. I was never going to have the pleasure of bearing and raising a son. It was laughable. So I laughed. What happened then? Her friend asks the Lord, because that's who it really was somehow talking with Abraham, the Lord asked him, why did Sarah laugh? And he called me out for my lack of trust, saying, is anything impossible for the Lord? And promised again that in a year I would have a son. And you know what? Soon, I started laughing for all the right reasons. I got pregnant, just as he said I would. And nine months later, I delivered this beautiful boy, and I have hardly stopped laughing from the joy and wonder of it all. But this name, Yitzhak, is to remind me not just of the joy, 
also of the Lord's question that cut right to my heart and exposed my failure to trust His Word. Sarah, why did you laugh? How about you? It's a question worth asking yourself often. Why did you laugh? Or cry, or shout, or grumble, or worry? You know, why did you laugh when the idea of God coming through on a promise to bless, or take care of you, or solve a problem just seemed ridiculous, beyond reason, beyond hope, or beyond belief? You may not have thought of it that way before. But even strong Christians are often guilty of thinking, speaking, or acting as though there is something or many things impossible for the Lord. We sometimes easily assert God's power to to do great and, and wonderful, awesome things, create the universe, still storms, perform miracles, and so on. But somehow, at the same time, We think that there is some situation in our lives in particular that is somehow beyond his reach. That's what Sarah did. And that's why she laughed. She still believed in a God of great power, but she doubted his power to give her a child. So maybe you, maybe you readily called Jesus your Savior but laughed at the idea that the Lord could actually forgive you for that thing you did that you really can't talk to anyone about. Perhaps you confessed the Father's power to preserve and protect His people, but laughed at His promise to take care of your needs and prosper you because you've been overwhelmed with debt for five years and that hole just keeps getting deeper. Maybe... Your laughter is about improving your health. You consider that impossible for the Lord. Or or conquering an addiction. or, Or healing a vital relationship. Perhaps it's more like Martha. Worried and upset about many things. Thinking that if you are not distracted and serving, that God's will will somehow not be done. It could even be the idea that our church will ever grow enough and reach enough new people to do new and bigger things. Or the assurance that the God who's got the whole world in His hands actually is doing anything or answering any prayers about our our nation's current political messes. But the answer to, is anything impossible for the Lord, is a clear and unequivocal no. Nothing is impossible for Him. He is the Lord and Creator of the universe. He is the One through whom and in whom all things hold together. Even more than that, He is loving, gracious, and merciful and has given His Word that He cares for His people and will look out for us in all things and in every situation. So when God tells us things, we can believe them. We should believe them. We have no reason whatsoever not to believe them, to think that they are impossible. There are all sorts of little proofs that we can point to. 
There are the miracles of Jesus and Moses and Elijah and Peter and others, all done to demonstrate both God's power and His care for people in His world. There are all the prophecies, promises made to the Lord's Old Testament people that were fulfilled in the New Testament in Christ and His church. We can even cite the course of all history as evidence as the Almighty God has guided all things to make sure that whatever happens happens in line with His plan for the world's salvation and the church's growth and blessing. But the biggest and best proof that God can be counted on even for the personally or particularly impossible, is what He did for you, for your and for my salvation. He didn't just make a a vague or or general proposal or, or wave His hands and say, oh, okay, it's all good, nothing to worry about. No. God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, in flesh, to suffer and die in a very personal and particular way in order to pay personally and particularly for your sins and my sins. And when He cried out from the cross, it is finished, He meant it. They are all forgiven, washed away, canceled. Death and the grave have been defeated and can no longer hold you. You have been declared not guilty completely, and you have been given Christ's own perfection to have as your own. Eternal life in heaven is not just some kind of general hope for the church, but it is your own personal and particular possession all through faith in Christ, all by the grace of God. So if the good news of your salvation can be counted on as complete and real in every way for every one of us in every situation of life, then in the same way, whenever God tells you not to be anxious or worried about what you will eat or drink or wear, or about where you will live, or what you will do, or about whether your children, or your friends, or your investments, or your candidates are doing well, or whether you have 50 days or 50 years left to live, or about whatever. The good news is that you can trust God when He says He will take care of you and will work all things out for the good of those whom He has called. It is not just generally true for Christians, but it is true for you, Christian. And your particular problems, your particular life, your particular situation. Of course, it would be properly, properly laughable to think that we can now just have whatever we think we need if we just believe hard enough ignoring God's wisdom or will and trusting instead in our own or, or in the power of our believing. But we still have His command to pray to Him, even about situations where we really have no idea what, what His will might be, but we see a need for Him to act. 
We count on His strength and love. And we bring Him our concerns about our friends and family members, about our church and our nation, about poverty and racism, about health and wealth and so much more. And we bring these concerns to Him precisely because we know that nothing is impossible for Him. And we know that His desire and His design is to bless and prosper His people. But we still have a sinful nature. A nature which tells us not to trust God. And even tells us to trust ourselves and our own will, wisdom, and strength instead. So it's good to remember what happens in the verse immediately after our reading. The Lord, you remember, has just asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And in verse 15, she says, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. And God responds, no, you did laugh. And Sarah has sense enough not to argue any further. We too are often afraid to own up to our unbelief. We seem to think that if we deny that we ever have doubts, then our faith will be stronger. But that's more facade than faith. We can let God tell us, yes, that time when I promised something and you thought it was beyond me, you did laugh. And then we can confess, agree with Him, and say, yes, yes I did. Forgive me. And He will. He loves to. He wants to. All throughout our lives, we can make the confession and pray the prayer of the man whose son was possessed by a demon who told Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And the Holy Spirit helps our unbelief by feeding and strengthening us through the means of grace, the Gospel and the Bible and in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Through these marvelous, miraculous instruments of blessing, He gives us forgiveness, new life and salvation over and over with a generosity we can never measure. And He gives these things not just generally, but personally and particularly. Remember, God only wants good for us and really for all people. Why did God wait until Sarah and Abraham were old to give them the, the pleasure of the son He promised? We don't know. And they weren't told. The Lord had His purposes and reasons though. And they were all good. Good not just for Him, not just for the world, but good for Sarah and Abraham and, and Isaac too. They had only to trust. So there is no need or reason ever to laugh or cry or shout or grumble or gripe or worry at the things that God tells us and wants us to rely on Him for. He can be counted on. He speaks the truth. He will come through for us with wisdom, love, mercy, and power. We have only to trust. And then we can laugh for all the right reasons. For the joy and wonder of seeing His promises fulfilled in our lives and our world. 
and of knowing His grace and salvation in Christ our Lord. God does the impossible. And He does it for you. Hallelujah. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.